Hello and welcome to a 55-1 podcast. Uh, my name is Wes Berdine, back from Hurricane Harvey. And uh, on the phone is uh, Alex Schieferdecker in non-hurricane weather, Philadelphia. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm less wet in Minnesota than I was in Texas. Um, and making an appearance live, in person, in Minnesota. Uh, this is your, your, the debut appearance on this podcast. Matt Pravatsky, hello, sir. Hey, how's it going, Wes? Happy to be here. Still in the neighborhood, so I didn't have to go too far. I know. Did you walk or did you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm delighted to have you, uh, mostly because uh, your brother harasses me all the time on Twitter because I made fun of Duluth on this podcast. so he, I think right away when you asked for 55-1 podcast questions, he responded by saying, we better cover hashtag ban Wes. And then when I jumped into the hashtag, I realized it's almost exclusively his. Yeah, you looked at it. And you, he, yeah. uh, I didn't realize, apparently I don't pay attention to his tw- tweets enough. He tweets it like every other week. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's been after me. <laughs> and what's funny is I didn't know, uh, I didn't know that I, I I remembered now that you tell me that you have a twin brother. I didn't realize that this Mark Pravatsky was your brother because the other person in his Twitter avatar is this older dude. And then finally I looked at it and I realized it's Ian Dark. So I guess <laughs> either Ian Dark I, is your father and his name is Matt Pravat or Mark Pravatsky. I- Ian Dark should be proud of that. I'm I'm assuming yeah. explaining it to our dad, who knows almost nothing about soccer, yeah. will maybe be even more entertaining. So I think I think somehow it'll be even better. And you know the root of of Mark's beef, of course, is that he's a fan of Duluth. Uh, the it's a classic, you know. Very classic fourth division soccer rivalry story of yeah. Minnesota. So he's a fan of Duluth, right? Although he's also one of their most honest and open critics. I think he gained a little bit of notoriety for c- referring to them as Soccer 1.0, uh, which I think was pretty accurate. <laughs> and you uh, are you VSLT or are you Minneapolis City? I would support VSLT. I still haven't gotten to a match live, okay, which is so probably in, a crime in theory. You right, are. right. Uh, Alex, do you have anything banter worthy, or you just you just living your life in philadelphia boringly just yeah that right there great cool good good covered that uh i've got nothing to report other than i I, uh idiotically last minute flew down to texas for my dad's 70th birthday uh a week before when i bought the ticket uh i didn't realize there was gonna be a hurricane then friday so friday i fly into uh into the storm but we were in college station so it was basically it's an hour and a half north of houston so it was basically just rain um and not it's gonna eventually get to crazy level but not my folks live out in the country so there's a lot of it'll just be big pools of water but uh, I, I don't have anything but it is massively scary in, in houston and and uh very freaky um I've, I've spent a little bit of time in houston and just like with new orleans it's crazy to watch something unfold like that so anyway um non or actual soccer talk that we are going to talk about um we have uh, have you matt because we are going to talk about the golden gophers the uh the women's soccer team at university of minnesota uh you've been writing a lot about that and so i wanted to have you on uh, we have a road win for Minnesota United FC, so we will talk about that. We'll do a little bit of talk about the U.S. Uh, men's national team coming up, 
Uh, but why don't we um, do the music little interlude thing and then come back and uh, we'll start off with the Gophers. <laughs> Oh yeah, I used to work in AM radio, oh, so really? I, I used to live in uh, what was, believe it or not, even scrappier audio editing world than this. What AM radio? In western Minnesota, yeah. as a news director. Do you want to drop the... KMRS, KKOK. It okay. was, what, yeah. kind of, what was the programming? I was the news director. It was, yeah, okay. It was in the basement of a house, so actually unbelievably similar to this we're in a really nice studio right now <laughs> that's true um <laughs> welcome back to the 551 podcast i I'll, I'll keep your your uh am talk there we are going to talk about the golden gophers uh because you write about it you cover it matt um which is so fantastic you and kate sophia um, both for the website cover that uh as with kyle eliason and and uh everyone who kind of does the the Fourth Division NPSL stuff coverage. I I love that fifty five one is basically the only place you can go to learn anything about this stuff. So I want to ask you and Alex if you want to jump in. You have goalkeeper questions, I know, Alex. But if you want to jump in, feel free. Um, give us the 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 what did we miss? You know, between mm-hmm. the seasons, seasons back, what happened in the off season? Who's gone? Who's here? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this. first of all, I would say this team this year is so unbelievably fun to watch. And we, I came in last year and kind of um, subbed in for Kate when she was unable to cover, I think, were the last two games of the season, the last three games of the season. And so I came on knowing about kind of top key players like Simone Kalander, all those kind of big names. And for those who don't follow the team, last year the Gophers graduated four seniors and all four of them were either drafted or signed professionally. And so right. it was a huge, huge deal. Like four yeah. four seniors go, they sign pro. First of all, how many teams for the U of M have all of their seniors and they go pro, which is a huge yeah. deal. And then aside from that, uh, you come in. And so I came into the season expecting it might be a little scrappier. It might be, they might be kind of feeling things out, figuring things out. And immediately um, you watch them. They're just incredibly dynamic. They play a 4-3-3. They have incredible ball movement, but they really bring players forward. And one thing Kate would absolutely remind me to say is that it really starts with their back line. They have an unbelievably stout back line, and that basically allows them to play out of the back a tremendous amount. They they play out of the back, and they run forward. They have numbers forward, and that 4-3-3 means all of those players are gunning forward and they shoot it a lot they they take it from 20 yards out 25 yards out 30 yards out yeah. and and, so, they, and and just this past weekend you had mm-hmm. uh you had a 6-1 or one yeah. of the last games yeah, yeah. 6-1 beating of Iowa State you have these kind of great this like <laughs> drubbing score lines it's and it's and the funny thing is you know it's similar to other soccer matches you've been to where uh, you know they beat NDSU three to zero, but that game could have been seven or eight. I mean, it's just an absurd um, kind of dominance on the field. And so the tough part at this point of the season is kind of separating out how much of it is that they're playing some substandard competition, but then then on the other hand, you look, they're playing a team like Notre Dame, a top ACC team who's always a top team nationally. They go on the road and get a result, and they get a draw, and that's a pretty big deal. And for as dynamic and confident 
And confidence is a word I would use in every sentence about this team. On the ball, they are so confident. It's uh, The way I liken it is when Jurgen Klinsmann had that kind of classic line about Dempsey that he's willing to try shit. Yeah. This... Everyone in the attacking third and the middle of the field for the Gophers is willing to try shit. They are so... Yeah, just bicycle kicks coming from 30 they yards. Are, <laughs> they are doing, like, shimmy shakes yeah. and shaking players off. They are doing, like, okey-doke moves where they're the crowd is going crazy. Like, if you've never been to a Gopher soccer game, the stands are packed. So and, there's sta- and it's full, so there's no more seats. And then fans line the fence behind one of the goals. So there's, like, 1,600 fans here. It's I would really describe it similar, you know, we were kind of joking around about 4th Division, like following Minneapolis SC and Duluth and all these teams. I would compare the fan atmosphere to that. It's where it's so much vigorous support. There's And at the U, there's a student section. There's all yeah. these... And well, there's, it seems like it actually outstrips even... even you know, yeah. Minneapolis gets a good crowd, but yeah. they're not getting a packed crowd of 1,600 people and standing room only. Yeah. Uh, which the fact that you've got all these different games and you've got the Gophers uh, doing that, who the crowd is what sort of folks? It's a mix. It- I mean, you see the one really uh, kind of adorable part of the fan following of this team and kind of the most endearing part. Uh, like if you see, if I'm at a match, I'll usually live tweet it because as you said, there's not that much coverage of this team. And when you're there at least 30 to 40% of my notifications are coming from players' moms. Like, you can tell, like, you can tell it's, uh, you know, Emily Heslin's mom is, like, an active retweeter and favoriter. There's, you can tell that it's players' moms kind of reacting, which is... Is is Christian Ramirez's aunt doing it? Oh, that would be so great. She's she's a big retweeter of everything... She doesn't follow you yet. Right. She follows almost all of the fifty-five-one people, and she will retweet anything. And then she'll make some great comments about how terrible it's, the defense is. It's so, it's so great. And the thing about it is that there's such a positive energy around this team. Like there was a student section of it must have been like seventy or eighty students, and they were cheering the whole game. I mean, they were going nuts. Like um, Nikki Albrecht plays left back, and she is an absolute stud. She's a sophomore. She was on the all-freshman team last year. She's really strong. This whole team is really strong. But she makes that run up the left side, and she's right in front of the student section and just breaks a girl's ankles. Just like <laughs> just makes a move, and the girl falls onto the ground, falls onto the pitch. And the student section goes nuts. Yes. And they're just, the whole rest of the game, anytime Nikki has the ball, they're saying, like, I love Nikki. Yes. And just going All you nuts. Do is break someone's legs. It and, is just and earn the earn the love of the crowd. Yeah, it's just incredible. So so far in the season, how many games? Where where are we? And then uh, where will the season go from here? Yeah, so they're four four games in. Only one of them has been at home so far of the actual regular season. Um, they've played one all the way out in Washington. They earned a draw. That was their first match, so I think there was probably a little jitters. Came back home, crushed NDSU, then went down to Iowa and drew Notre Dame. And they came, then they were still in Iowa for kind of a tournament-type setup and just demolished Iowa State 6-1. to one. Sydney Squires scored four freaking goals in this game yeah. and had an assist. It's like she, she, we're four games in and she already has five goals in an assist. It's just absurd. Um, so they're four games in. It's an 18-game schedule. So they're kind of creeping toward that Big Ten setup where those games are pretty brutal. They're pretty physical. Um it's really worth noting how physically strong this team is. Uh, if you talk to uh, Coach Golan, she'll she'll tell you that when they play other teams after the game, 
the coach will call her and say, what are you guys doing? Like, we need to know what you're doing. Because they are so strong on the ball. What sort of drugs? They are just, well, their program is so yeah. intense. And they're when you watch a game, they are holding people off the ball with their shoulder. They are pushing people off the ball with their shoulder. Yeah. They are so strong. Like, Tori Burnett, their top center back, I feel like she could just like knock you on your back. She's so 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 tough. And so that that strength really comes through and I think it'll matter in Big 10 play because those Big 10 games are a little bit more of a grind. They're a little bit kind of ground and pound. So I think it'll be a test coming up. Um and the tough thing is, you know, not a lot of their games are broadcast. Not a lot of them are are on TV and even the ones that are are on things like Big 10 Plus where you need a specific package. So if you want to go see this team, this is really the time to do it. Their next three games are all at home, and five of their next six are at home. And this is and this is when they will be cruising. They I would anticipate them. They would probably stay undefeated through this. Is slate. there one coming up this weekend? Yeah, they have two coming up this weekend, and it's usually a Friday Sunday. So okay. it's usually Friday at seven, Sunday I think at one or three, and I can't remember which okay. it is. But they'll be playing. Um, this weekend, it's a really, really great crowd, and it's super family friendly. It's super friendly for everybody, so it's a it's a really good spot. Um, they play up in Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium. So, yeah, in Saint Saint yep. Paul campus of U of M. Yep, it's at Larpenter in Cleveland. It's gorgeous. Actually, United has trained there a few times. We yeah. kind of got a question related to that later. We can hold it, but they it's a really beautiful stadium. Yeah, it's also the the only time I've I've actually seen a soccer game there was Minnesota. Was it Minnesota United in the against Des Moines? Right, that, but it was United. That yeah, because it was it was twenty thirteen. It was the first year of Minnesota United, and it was uh, one of the worst soccer games I've ever watched in my life. So, but um, but this weekend it's perfect because there's no United game. There's nothing else. There's mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, men are playing, uh, but they're not playing on Sunday. So that that's fantastic. Um. Uh, I, I've got a, a Twitter question. Uh, this is from uh, Kyle uh, Kyle Lyson, I think. Any specific thoughts on Nielsen's debut and how serious is Sharp's hand injury? And, be, and t- yeah, tell us about those. Yeah. Yeah, so for um, for folks who don't know, one of the players we lost to graduation was Tara Hobbs. She just signed overseas, and actually I think she might already be starting overseas as in a keeper. Scandinavia, in, right? Yeah, and they're, um, she's actually playing with Josie Stever, so two gophers are on that team, and a um, previous gopher alum, Haley Halverson, is also on that team, and I guess a player from Northwestern, so they kind of have like a Midwest like crew on this European yeah, soccer team. Just, just, they never graduated they right, they're just, study abroad. Yeah, yeah, they're just hanging out, no big deal playing professionally um so tara hobbs was big 10 goalkeeper of the year played four years absolute stud so kaylee sharp stepped in as a junior didn't really play major minutes before this year and she'd done a good job the first three matches before their fourth match she had a finger injury during warm-ups and so it's kind of a little bit of a curveball um but kate and i would were actually going back and forth before the season we weren't sure which would start either the the new freshman goalkeeper or kaylee sharp so now um you have you know a freshman goalkeeper and Maddie Nielsen, but she came in, only allowed one goal, and did pretty well in her first match. Um, the team is still waiting to hear back what Kaylee, um, what the injury is like. She's going to a doctor tomorrow, so they're not sure what how serious it'll be. Um, y- you know, it, the, it, to be honest, if there's a time for a starting goalkeeper to get injured, you know, four games into the non-conference schedule is probably, if it's going to happen, a better time for it to happen. Because if it is serious, Maddie can get some reps and get comfortable. And if it's not, 
at least she still gets some reps in case she's right. needed later yeah. on. So it's, um, it's you know, it's a tough situation, but uh, they're still waiting to see kind of how serious it is. I think the Maddie Nielsen is an interesting player, and I know we've talked about this on the 55-1 slat, uh, slack, but she's like really tall. She's huge. If if you see her on the sideline, she is like head and shoulders above how, other players. How tall are we talking? I I would guess she's like six two. I mean, okay, in, right. in that range. Yeah, and so, okay. um, e- even on the even on the Gopher squad, there's some taller forwards and some taller players. But even then, she's still kind of it's sticking like, sticking ahead of other people. Yeah, okay. Just for reference, like Hope Solo is five foot nine. <laughs> really? So, yeah. No way. This According, whole time to I, Wikipedia. I According to Wikipedia, I, the whole time I thought that she nine. was, she was, actually tall. No offense to people who are five nine or below, but I mean, I know tall women who are six feet, so I just assumed that Hope Solo was a, right. of the tall, and I'm a six foot five giant, so I, that that's that's where I'm coming from. Uh, so I think that puts into perspective. How tall this freshman goalkeeper is? That's why you're so okay. That's why you. I know Alex has been very excited about a tall, a tall woman's goalkeeper. So, yes. So Maddie Nielsen is future U.S. women's (laughs) national team captain. We've had this discussion on the Slack channel, but I think it. I think the last World Cup, I looked it up, and and there wasn't a single goalkeeper women's World Cup. I think there wasn't a single goalkeeper over six feet, wow, um, or something like that. It's it's a the the way that coaches scout and play the position in the women's game seems very different from the men's game where, you know, if you're six, four, you're just automatically like shoved in goal basically. And, and, you know, um, so I want to, before we take a break, I want to do a little bit of preview of the U S men's national team this weekend. Cause Friday you've got a big world cup qualifier against Costa Rica. And then Tuesday you've got the matchup in Honduras, uh, uh, the preview is only to say, do either of you have anything to say about this? Well, the first game is the U.S. against Francisco Calvo and Johan Venegas and the Minnesota United guys. So we should be um, excited, licking our chops, because neither of them are in good form. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I just think it's uh, it's always an interesting match against Costa Rica, who are obviously... Uh, after the U.S. and Mexico, they're the sort of ascendant team in CONCACAF right now. And these are, you know, the United States is in decent shape, but not out of the woods yet. I mean, it's really important to win uh, that game at home, as it's always important to win at home. Yeah, and and the last time we faced them in a qualifier, they absolutely walloped us. The last time we faced them, they got Klinsman fired, so... And, and and Honduras has also, away at Honduras, has also been really a, a persistent challenge for the United States. Um, if I think it was the last cycle where the U.S. lost to Honduras and it sparked all those, sparked that famous Brian Strauss article yeah. uh, that got Benny Failhaber uh, excommunicated from the team and, and then the U.S. turned everything around. And, yeah, I, I mean, this, this weekend... You would say normally is a four four point. They should they should get four points from these matches. You, Concacaf, we have to expect winning at home in qualifiers. Away is tough, but Honduras are not looking good right now. We should draw with them, uh, but these are two very difficult teams, and so I don't know. We may find ourselves gnashing with gnashing and weeping of teeth. Weeping of it's never easy to play against Costa Rica. Teeth? There we go. Yeah, sorry. And never easy to go on the road in Concacaf. Yeah. So, but if we get four points, 
then I think we're pretty set for qualification. But um, but three or below uh, is, you know, really really worrisome because there. This is I think the seventh and eighth eighth matches in the hex, and yeah. so after that there are only two to go. And it would be really nice to have one match where we don't have to worry about qualification, where we can play. You know, I don't know Matt Miazga or some one of these some of these guys who are maybe fringe candidates for the World Cup team. Yeah, um, I will say next next week the podcast I have a, a a very special guest, so I don't think there will be actually any U.S. Men's National Team talk, but uh, I, I don't want to jinx it uh, by saying who the special guest is going to be. So uh, unless so, if there's no podcast next week, then I have jinxed it. And I screwed it up, and there will be no interview, etc. Um, it's Klinsman, guys. It's Klinsman. <laughs> Klinsman's going to come to my basement. And we're doing so. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the first road win in 503 days in Minnesota United history. So uh, we'll do that. Welcome back to the 551 podcast. I've got Alex on the phone. I've got Matt in the room. Uh, guys, how temperature of the room? You okay? Everyone good? It's great. Great, good. Everyone's happy. Uh, Minnesota United to Chicago Fire 1. First time we've met Chicago Fire in MLS. It's Have we ever played Chicago Fire? Other than a friendly in like 2010. I remember we played them in preseason... 2013, yeah. beat right. them 1-0. I think, okay. or lost them 1-0. It was a 1-0 game. There might be something. I should have asked asked one of the old-timers uh, before this, but this might have been their first meeting in, in history. Well, we're rivals. Yeah, we are rivals, though. Uh, I think uh, rivalry week. I mean, the great thing is well, all the photos that the Dark Clouds got of the Dark Clouds brick. that Because when they built the... Uh, uh, the stadium, you know, people could buy uh, buy like bricks, and some of the dark clouds ages ago bought a brick that had the dark clouds logo. So the dark clouds are freaking build built into Toyota Park or Toyota Toyota Field, whichever whatever it is, Toyota Cow Pasture in Bridgeview. Uh, so it's just amazing. Like. I have to imagine that Chicago Fire are going to eventually take it out. I mean, I can't believe (laughs) that they were so naive, but amazing. So uh, let's talk about this game. Let's start with the three stars of the match. Uh, I I think, Alex, these were your choice. Bastian Schweinsteiger got the number one. Abu Dinladi got the number two. Uh, Brent Coleman got the number three. So let's let's use that to, to talk about it. Schweinsteiger impressed you a lot this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that even even pretty results oriented Minnesota fans would admit that the game was controlled by Chicago. They controlled the pace of the game. Um, they were more consistently dangerous, uh, but you know, they obviously they they didn't they didn't convert their chances like Minnesota did. Um, but that doesn't take away from from Schweinsteiger, who I mean, I thought he was pretty obviously the best player on the field for for either team. Um, I think that you know he assisted a very nice goal to, to David Akam. Um, 
I think that Minnesota kind of didn't bother trying to stop him. Um, they just kind of fixated on, on the defending the other guys, especially Nikolic. And that was a good idea, you know, because Chicago were very reliant on him to do something really special. And he, you know, he was sort of playing every role at once. He couldn't push too forward because they needed him to bring the ball up from the defense. And he couldn't, you know, he couldn't really play in long balls because the loons were so compact at the back. Um, he was really influential, but I thought that Chicago, frankly, were, were too dependent on him. But that's a that's an let's, interesting. So let's, I I want to say that that's just kind of an interesting yeah. thought. I hadn't thought about the idea of like, you know, the idea. Is, everyone knows that he is the fulcrum of that team, right? So so you're saying you are, are you compli- well, are you some... complimenting Adrian Heath for <laughs> for, for, some... for letting him just go do his thing and then just pro- well yeah it was it was either a plan or the fact that we were just really bunkering not good enough to yeah. handle Bastian Feinstein <laughs> one of the two. Um, I, I, you know, I think that Chicago, I mean, one of the reasons why this was a big upset, but the loons actually came in, I think, with a decent chance because Chicago are in a total free fall right now. Uh, I think this was their fourth straight loss. Yeah, um, and it lost was something six like, out of seven. Yeah, it's, it's really brutal for them. Yeah. And they, Juninho is injured. He was, he was one of their big three in the midfield. They've got, they've lost uh, most of their back line. Um and, and Nikolic, who had scored like 16 goals in the first 18 games or something like that, has not scored in seven or eight games now. Um, they're really struggling, um, and, and injuries play a part of it. Um, but I've, I've read also that their locker room, that their reports are that the locker room is in a really bad shape, which is classic Chicago Fire. That's basically been a, a running theme of their past couple of years. That's surprising to me. I hadn't seen that. I mean, when you've got Schweinsteiger and Dax, like guys who yeah. are, you know, really good, like you would imagine that they would be able to kind of set a tone, but maybe you've yeah, got you some. would, but it's just, there's something sort of, even though they've been good this year, there's something sort of rotten in that franchise in that club. Um, well, it's just, it feels like every year you get these, they go on a bad run and then you get these stories coming out. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's Panovich. I'm not sure if it's more of the front office. Uh, you know, I don't really know. But um, well, and, and 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 we had this. You know, uh, we were. I know that there was a lot of talk as well about the about the dark clouds and the true north elite who showed up, traveled in in mass, and really were. I mean, I watched on stream, of course, and you could hear, you could hear them, and you really could not hear Section Eight. Yeah, especially and, w- about thirty minutes into the game, it was just all, all yeah. the dark, all, all those guys who traveled. So. I, and, yeah, and normally a... when you get something like that, you know, there's like the 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 home fans didn't hear any in the visiting support, and the visiting support thought they did a great job, and so on. But you know, I was reading fans from Chicago after the game, you know, in comments online, and they were like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> we 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 weren't the biggest cheering section in our own stadium." I think that, you know, and, and Brian Korstad said said something the other day, but this is a this is a team that I think in a French in a club that we should really sort of feel sorry for um, in some ways. You know, even though they have Schweinsteiger, even though they have McCarty, they've spent all this money, but they there's just something not right about it. They've got this absentee owner. They've got the stadium in the boonies. 
And there's just, you know, now they're collapsing after what was a, just a dream start for them. It's, it's a sort of an unfortunate situation down there. Well, and I think it's, it actually, this was one of the few times where on the field you saw kind of a clear dynamic between the really big picture types of team building. I mean, Chicago and Dax McCarty and Schweinsteiger and some of their high dollar players have done what a decent amount of MLS teams have done where they go for the strongest link. Like they try and make their best players even better. And Minnesota has done kind of an expensive version of this. They've kind of overspent on this, but more of a weak link strategy where they want to make sure that none of their players are absolutely terrible. Like they're trying to do a thing where they've tried to do the absolutely yes. terrible route. Just well, they're, just, well, they're, they, try, they well, they're trying tried. to, they're trying to do the thing where they're not trying to out, yeah. out good your best player. They're trying to make sure they're trying to like patch each hole as it happens. And this is one of the few times where you've actually seen that on the field where the risk of going for the strongest link as opposed to addressing your weakest link is that if if for some reason those players around those strong links are not executing or not finishing, then even a team like Minnesota where you know some of our starters are what would be considered off the MLS scrap heap guys yeah. like and we'll get into like guys like Coleman who have performed really well for us but have never had an you know have yeah. never had a chance in MLS and we have a team kind of a mixed bag and still they're kind of able to play up to a team like Chicago on the road. It was kind of a clear dynamic. This is one of the few times where you've seen that kind of work because we weren't even really, it, it was mostly counterattack goals. Like, like Alex said, it was kind of Chicago controlled the tempo, but still we were able to kind of stay with them and yeah. stay in the game. Well, I, I, I do want to say Minnesota was not a good team. We won. Awesome, fantastic, but overall, Chicago was way better. But at times, Chicago was also crappy. I mean, Chicago, if they were just slightly better, would have just destroyed us. So it's kind of like it's the opposite of of last last week in Seattle, where it was an unfair result. We weren't that bad. We lost. It was heartbreaking. I was a little more heartened. I'm glad we won this week. I think that there were some great performance performances that we'll talk about but Chicago should have beaten us on a normal day um, they had so many chances uh, I, I think that um, that there were probably four players out there who were not very good I think Francisco Calvo has been very ooh, not very bad has been bad for the last three or four games I think he had a bad game I think uh, Colin Warner came in he had a bad game uh, you know, we we can talk about. Let's see. I'm seeing Sam Nicholson is absolutely. I do not understand the point of Sam Nicholson. He he does a decent job on defending the ball uh, and, and protecting the left back, but he cannot string a useful goddamn pass in his for for the life of him. If I put a gun to his head or I said, "Here, here's a thousand dollars. Just put a pass that will go to a useful person's foot," he can't do it. I just, I do not get it. Um, this is the most passionate nerve, I think. Well, because we've ever struck. I've been saying this every week, and it's just, it's like, look, I, I he's not bad, and I know that I, I actually believe we need an improvement on Miguel Ibarra in in left. Wing. I think Miguel has not been good enough. He's been fine. He can fight for minutes, whatever. 
But Sam Nicholson is not that improvement, and it drives me crazy. So I'm not saying this out of my, like, secret love of Miguel Ibarra. I'm saying this out of, he is bad. Ah, just try it really, it's driving me crazy. And then, and in this game, this, uh, these were my later notes, but in this game, if you go back and watch the 60th through 70th minute, uh, there is a time where Calvo, Warner, Molino, and Nicholson are just basically like just doing Rochambeau to see who's going to uselessly give up possession by just passing directly to the opposition. There's one time where Colin Warner uh, does this great job. He tackles the guy in midfield. Okay, and then he runs. He's got two runners ahead of him. It's like the 65th minute. And he just shoots from 40 yards. And it's like, just make a guy... Oh. It, it, I got so mad, and and I got so mad in a game. I was literally rewatching it tonight, rewatching the second half. I got the first half before, rewatching the second half, and um, you know, it's it's a nice scene. My my kids and my wife are in the on the couch across from me. They're watching, you know, Octonauts and just like being. And I'm like, God damn it, Colin! I just was so pissed. I was like yelling, like, and I knew that we won. I've already watched this game. I'm watching it a second time. I knew we won, and I'm just fucking yelling because you're just, why are you passing now? And Calvo did it too. Oh, anyway, so I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> and the, sec- the second star of the game was? <laughs> I will say, so let me say something positive. Dunlady and uh, and Coleman were your picks. I do think that the two center backs we got to talk about them. Ethan Finley was lights out this game. Man of the match for me. I think he was better than Schweinsteiger, even though I I agree with what you said, Alex. I think Finley was all over the place. He was tucking in, doing what you dream about with that four two 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 thing. You know, like yeah. uh, he w- he had a part in both goals. He had a part in it. He set up Dunlady for another almost uh, goal. Uh, I think that Finley has been fantastic these last uh, he just just two games, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. His song was fantastic as well. Um, the second the second goal that Minnesota scored was an, I, like I'd forgotten what it was like to score beautiful goals. Yeah. Um, that goal was so basic, like so simple and clean. You know, it was Finley gets the ball. Sorry, it, it was it was sort of an interplay. So Tieson passes to Finley. Yeah, they just passed it. No one. Finley is them. looking. <laughs> they're passing back and forth. Tieson thought Finley was going to make a run. He didn't. So he just drops it off to Finley. He takes off, just bursts down the line, has a step on his defender. You know, and Dunlady just beautifully creates just a little bit of separation at the end. I mean, he's marked for most of that play. But he just is, is his feet are quicker. He reacts to the cross. He gets to it. It was a really, really beautiful goal. I, I think for all for all Finley's ability to kind of cut it in, I think the fact that he and TSN both can send it in from that right side and actually provide really quality service. Uh I mean, you could credit that with kind of what Dunlady was able to do, although him, you know, him finishing his two shots is probably also credit to him and the fact that he kind of turned a cor- turn a corner a little bit at least for this match but having both of those guys able to interchange on that right side when i saw that goal 
I was actually like, oh, Finley sent it in because they both kind of have that like scrappy, short, right, dark right, hair right. kind of thing. And they're both sending in decent service all throughout the game. And I think that ends up threatening that right side enough where I think then if you get equal kind of production off that left side, it could be kind of interesting. And ultimately in that 4 2 3 1, you need those wingers to be making those runs because otherwise Dunlady's on an island. And so I think the fact that Finley can cut in and allow Tyson to make those runs. I mean, you saw the production from it, and it just ends up being, as Alex said, it was simple, but it's also, when it ends in a goal, it seems dynamic. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's well, entertaining. And and I, I was, to, to someone else, I was kind of bemoaning that, that not bemoaning, cri- maybe criticizing Dunlady a bit, that most of his goals have been kind of garbage goals, right? Um, but guys who can put away garbage goals are still useful and good. Um, you, you know, just being able to... The first one was extremely easy, but the second one, how he got into the space was was as you're saying, great. I think it was also terrible defending from the the defenders. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, congratulations on us not going after Christian Dean. And he hurt himself, by the way. Yeah, he's out for the rest guy. of the season. Sorry. That guy is never gonna. He's gonna go. He has to go to USL or something because bummer. Um. So uh, yeah. So I love that. I do love that. I gave like my most impassioned anger. Of over a, our first road win, but <laughs> but it was just like it was oh, anyway. So uh, we talked about the two two positive goals. Uh, l- let's talk about the defenders, right? The back line we went with the same back line as as the Seattle away trip, and it was Calvo on the left, uh, Coleman, Boxall, Tiason. Uh, obviously, they looked I think better than Seattle. I I, I think Boxall and Coleman looked fantastic they like especially Coleman nothing could get in the into that box so I have a working theory about our defenders I think our defenders are actually pretty good and I think that for a long time it's been the midfield that has been really letting them down and exposing them I think that again this game though yeah and I think that I mean if you think about how many times in our games when our defenders get just run at which is not supposed to happen. Uh, it, it, it's like inexcusable how many times this happens. But as a result of it happening so many times, our defenders have gotten a lot of practice in those situations. And I think that their emergency defending has gotten pretty sharp. And I think that we saw that against Chicago. This is not, by the way, a good thing or, or something to like build your team around. Um, but it is... It's 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 inspire. It's good to see. It's inspiring to see that the, the players still fighting out there and playing so hard, uh, especially in defense. And I think that I think that I don't know. I, I from the fan base from the Loons fan base, I people I think often underestimate Brent Coleman somehow. Still, I think he's good. I think he's like a. I think he's a good MLS defender. I think that. I think that it will be very, very difficult if he ever loses his spot for for that to happen, for someone to come in and take it from him. Because when he is playing, he is so smart and simple and he gets his job done. And I was I've been really impressed by him in his last two games. I think that Boxall has found his feet. I don't think he was ever as bad as some people thought he was, but I definitely think that he had his best game. Um, Tiesan is really good. 
And so it's just a matter of that sort of left back position. And if if this guy Leton comes in, uh, he might take that position. Calvo may hold it. on to the position. Leton is not a left back. I don't know. This is a lie that that has been no. Leton was brought in as a winger. That's what everyone has described him. He has played fullback a little bit. He's a right. winger. So Francisco Calvo will probably yeah. continue on as a left back. And I think that this is a. You know, without injuries, I think that this is a pretty decent back line. And I think, actually, and I think you know, one thing you guys talked about last week was the idea that if you're going to have two holding midfielders in front of that back line, it needs to be a little bit more intentional. With are they actually two holders? Are they actually sitting in front of the backs, or are they not? Because it ends up being a little bit of a dice roll. It's like when Ibsen plays that role well, then you're holding well because. You have two holders in front of those center backs, and the outside backs are doing what they're almost designed to do, which is throw forward on that strong side, send in balls like TSN does, and and he's clearly done it well like on the offensive end, and he's clearly serviceable enough on the defensive end to make it worth it to put him on that right-hand side. And so in the end, that pressure on kind of the outside backs defensively and the center backs, as you said, Alex, comes back to those those midfielders. And so it's kind of... As you said, you can't; those defenders can't be left hang out to dry. And at the same time, you know, Tiasen almost is designed as more of like a flank back who's really making those runs. And then he just has to be serviceable on defense. It's, I mean, it's kind of the same way um, the U.S. uses kind of like speedsters sometimes, guys like Yedlin, where they're there for their their speed on the wing. And then if they can also not lose you the game, like that's their only job. Yeah, and then there are some games where Tayson is sitting back and he's mm-hmm. not going forward. And, mm-hmm. and he is, I think, a better, a pretty good defender um he's been a little bit shaky on defense the last couple games but uh i i want to say a little bit for i do think that warner did a good job of just sitting at times and but the the problem is because he was sitting right in front of the defense and then the problem is there was a lot of space for him to be run at and that's where ethan finley cutting in did some good work I was a little bit harsh on Molino, but I was kind of testing that out to see if other people agreed with me. And, um, you know, I was talking to Bruce McGuire about it, and he said that he thought Molino did a really great job uh, after the goal was given up, the last 15 minutes of defending. Uh, I thought that he, again, was suspect and, and not not working hard enough. There were times where Abu Ladi was running back, uh, further than than Molino uh, to to put pressure, and I think Abu does a really good job of continuing to run. Um, so I think I I don't know if you have any thoughts if you want to go to your uh, Molino place here. Chief yeah, Decker. I don't think I don't think anyone wants to hear yeah, me talk no. about Kevin Molino. I, I mean, does he? But is he someone that could play if if Finley is someone who can hold down that right hand side? If if we had a true ten. Could Molino play on that left-hand side and add that dynamic where you don't need Calvo to be making so many of those bombing runs because Molino is doing a little bit of that cutting and that action on his own? I mean, could he operate on that left-hand side? Yeah, when he plays on the wing, he often switches with whoever the other winger is. Yeah, that's I mean, true. I mean, I mean, we haven't seen him play Ibarra a ton out on the left, but he did switch a bit with Ibarra to do that. I mean, I would rather see yeah. that, but the problem is the problem is that Molino is the best option in the ten. Unless you play, unless you, you play, play with the you're, you don't have to. You could play Dunlady and Ramirez. So I would like to see that, especially because we need some a better option on the left. But um, 
I don't want to uh, go too much more on this game, but I do want to talk about the goal we gave up because that was an Ibsen Warner problem. The right, so Ethan Finley has the ball literally on their end line, gives up the ball. You know, that's fine, but then. The 90 yards they had to go, that Chicago Fire had to go to sh- to score their goal, was so easy. And that was Warner and Ibsen both failing to cover, because Tieson was pushed up, etc. Those guys failed to cover that space and close it down. And then, I think Boxall could have done better, but David yeah. Kahn is very good, and it's on a break. Uh, I, I, and- I think... I'm I'm more angry with Ibsen and Warner for not just shutting that down. Well, and a comment had chances kind of all game. I mean, he'd been he'd been pressuring the whole. I mean, yeah. Tson for all of his action going forward was busy That's holding yeah. him down. Yeah. So it's it's almost a matter of uh, do you kind of give them one because of how many times he was just pressuring, pressuring, pressuring. But like you said, maybe it's that it shouldn't have been that good of a chance to begin with. Yeah, I think that there was also, I think that as you alluded to, there was a little bit of a miscommunication between Coleman and Boxall. It's like that sort of classic, you see it a lot in hockey, the two-on-one where the defender guards the pass and lets the goalie, you know, play against the, play one-on-one against the attacker. I think that both Coleman and Boxall were kind of in that middle area, and I think that Boxall may not have known that Coleman was over his shoulder. He may not have known that there was really no one to pass to. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that he should have closed with a calm a little more and made it a more difficult shot. Uh, but that, you know, we talked, we, we sung their praises. They had a very good game, but that was a, that was a one little mistake. Any, any final notes on this? Anyone speak now? Okay. Let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll do, uh, we'll do some Twitter questions. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. We've got Alex and Matt, uh, and uh, everyone's still good, right? All right, everyone, Alex, you're you're still in a good place? We're good. Yeah, great. All right, just need to check. David Sterling asked, does Heath disrupt the current form by reinserting players returning from injury? Um, uh, who's out? I mean, that would be Mark Birch, basically, right? Do you bring Mark Birch out there? And Christian Ramirez. And Christian Ramirez, yeah, right. So let me, let me, and then he says, as unbiased as possible, Nicholson or Ibarra, uh, and I, I responded to him already, there's, I do not have an unbiased button, I have raging partisan, and uh, I think the last segment already answered that question for you, David, but uh, you guys answer the first one, uh, Alex, when, when, do, do you bring back Christian Ramirez and uh, Mark Birch? No to Birch, yes to Ramirez. Okay, alright, well um, we answer that. I, I mean, have we... We all know that I want to play with the two forward setup, um, but I think that the back line is fine as is. Yeah. My my only question with Ibarra, Jeff had some tweet like a week ago saying that Minnesota had offers for Ibarra, and for all we can tell, Heath absolutely does not favor him, and even from as unbiased as we could be, he seems like sort of a rotation winger. Like, if we had any decent offers, and Heath seems to almost hate this guy, like he's made such yeah. strong comments... 
Like, how is that not considered? That's what I'm like, especially well, with all the wingers yeah, we signed. Yeah, I, I think well, that's a good question. I actually, I, I did not, did not even di- dig into that and and ask people about it. Uh, the possible answers are Manny still likes Miguel, and uh, and so you know, there's that, and also maybe the offers were crappy. I mean, even though he does have a high wage bill, maybe they because. And we paid something for him. I mean, yeah. like we spent on him, right. right? And and they maybe don't want to to ditch that. Miguel is also a fan favorite, and I think to ditch him this early it would be, you know, unless we got something really good for it, you know, I I, I would be upset uh, personally if if it was just like oh we traded him for fifty bucks and a coupon for a shamrock shake. Um, Steve Lindley <laughs> says, do we actually have a good Center back depth with Taylor, Coleman, Boxall, Calvo, Greenspan. How would you rank them? And then who of them do you want to keep and build off of? Uh, I think that we do have a good center back depth. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, who, who is, who's your starting center back pair next year? Or do you think that we need one other starter or both two new starters? Coleman so, and Calvo are my starters. Um you know, if we have a solution at left back, um, I think that the thing, I think that I'm not sure about Taylor because he's getting a little bit older. I, I don't know what he wants to do with his career and uh, Greenspan. I'm just wary. you know, the poor guy's had three concussions in a year. I'm really wary about his recovery from that. I like him as a player, um, you know, but we, we may, I don't know. You know, it seems like, and, and, and you often get, decent center backs in the draft. So that, that seems to me like a second round draft selection or something, you know, a target position for that kind of role. Troll feet had a series of troll questions. Uh, fittingly ish Joan, best Minnesota United player or greatest of all time, Minnesota United player. There we go. Next question. Matt Axelson, <laughs> Matt Axelson says, uh, um, uh, this is to me since you care a lot about names, what should we call our traveling uh, section? Sequestered, loud, and menacing. And he, he suggests the loony bin. Anyone have any uh, suggestions for, for what to call the... Uh, I mean, loony bin is, is fitting, you know, because they are kind of kept in a sequestered area. Um, I'm Death Loon Express. It's kind of the darkness, right? Yeah, yeah Death Loon Express. Yeah, Death Loon Express is, it, you know, these the people traveling out... Uh, I, I, I've always been a fan of using like just literal information about loons in more of our, our labels, like very um, biology fact driven information. So I think maybe something about their travel patterns, something about migration, um, something about them returning Probably. to the same lake over and over. I think, I think we should drop some okay. like, serious information. Well, you need, you need better biology information. If, if we're, we got to go deeper than migration. Yeah. The bir- they migrate. Right. Okay, so I'm just saying open up Wikipedia by the end of this. <laughs> no, I, that's all I have, so it's not going to get deeper than that. All right, some asshole named Mark Pravatsky uh, from some podunk uh, backwater town of Duluth says, are there any talks about using the Gopher Stadium for uh, Loons USL Academy future women's team, maybe expanded to fill that role? I would say I have no idea if talks have happened on this. I would say just as a soccer facility, 
It is, and as a playing surface, it is absolutely premier. I think I could see them adding, there's probably room actually to add some stands, either on the other sideline or on one of the end lines. I could see it working for something like that. I'm not, it seems like the team is going for, especially for USL and academy purposes, going elsewhere. But I mean, the team has trained there this year uh, because their own playing surfaces have not been up to snuff. So, It's not the craziest idea. I could see it more as a temporary space. They've doubled down on NSC as the training space. They're doing a lot of improvements to NSC. Uh, USL is a whole different thing. It won't be in the Twin Cities. Um, And then women's team, you know, when they do have things, they've got this stadium. If they have an NWSL team, it's going to be at that stadium, Uh, Mm -hmm. and and rightfully so. Um, Yeah, I, I don't... It is... I do really like uh, Elizabeth Robbie uh, as well. Um, hopefully someday uh, some uh, NPSL team can make it its home or something like that. Because that, that I do think is a, is a great place. Um, I think uh, the bigger question is, will the Gophers play at the United Stadium occasionally? Once you know, once or twice a year when that gets built. I, I'd like to see that. I, I mean, I think the I fact... Think if they could draw enough people, it could be a lot of fun. I mean, I think the fact that they... For those later matches, when they're hosting a Big Ten game, when they theoretically, if they don't get screwed by like national judges, if they're hosting an NCAA game, I think that could be kind of cool. I mean, they can, yeah. they've shown they can draw. I don't know if they can draw 20,000 because not that many teams can draw 20. But if you can draw 10,000, 12,000 in that it's, stadium, it's still, yeah. It, it would not surprise me if they, if they could play a big match there. It would be really, really cool to see for sure. Um, and, and then, uh, Duluth, the worst city in in Minnesota, or is it slightly above Hinkley? I like Duluth. That's not on the paper. He's making that up. Mark, you know he's making that up. United Loons, uh, does this win win mean we have to listen to Cal and Kendra talk about making the playoffs for another another couple of weeks? Yes, is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not a very bad thing. Yeah. I mean, that's math, you guys. We can't. We can't stop that. Can't you? Can't, uh, you literally really cannot alive. stop math. I tried to once. Dan O asks: Now with the new additions, who do you see as being the the base team we build off moving forward to next year? So we we answered this a little bit with the center backs, but um, uh, w- l- let me just ask it otherwise: Who? What are the positions that you don't think we have an option for that needs to be? Uh, in terms of, we need a starter. We need to. We need a major improvement for a starter next year. I'll say left wing, obviously. I'll, I'll start you off there. And we've already talked about the number 10 position a million times. So those two are taken. Do you think the central midfielders, striker, uh, right wing? I don't know. Hard to say in central midfield, right? Because Ibsen and Sam Cronin are, are pretty good central midfielders. But Ibsen kind of locks you into a way of playing. And so it would be nice to have other looks that we could trust there. Because clearly... You know, Schuller and uh, Martin and, uh, and and Warner and whatever are not, you know, considered really viable options there. Um, you know, we need replace a long-term replacement for Cronin, even though he's not that old. But uh, we need to think about that. Um, I think that those are in the midfield and and on the wing and and uh, at that number ten are the are the big positions to look for. 
you know, I, I wrote I wrote in my article last week, I, I, we have like a good core. I mean, Ramirez, Molino, Ibarra, Finley, Coleman, Calvo, they're all 25 to 27. And then Dunlady, Nicholson, Martin, Jome, and, and now Alex Kapp are all 22 or younger. So I think that those are, you know, those are like, that's like nine, ten players who are really a good group to build around. Um, there was an article this week by um, just today by Sam Stakel uh, for four four two, where <laughs> it's so great. the The headline and the the whole big thing is that Minnesota United will have a DP in twenty eighteen, which is kind of something that has been said or is known generally, but. Uh, but they couldn't. It had to come from Eric Durkee calling to follow, follow up uh, because Manny wouldn't say it outright. And I, I'm a, <laughs> I love Manny. Uh, he's a great guy. He just get, getting a quote from Manny is one of the most impossible things. It's I don't even try to get quotes from Manny anymore. Sam, Sam should know better. Uh, this is from uh, there's uh, some a redneck in uh, in Duluth. <laughs> um, so he has this is like a, a threaded question. So wish we'd press owner on being small budget that can that can't spend. I get cash flow, but Atlanta is also spending on a training center and stadium, as are we. Uh, our owners are collectively worth billions. They're Fortune 500 level. Won't they won't sell more tickets in a new stadium? Uh, and he says, of course, there's going to be more cash flow overall, but the willingness to invest. Um, and then um, he says, if they wanted to show their commitment to youth development, they would wouldn't have waited so long for U sixteen, U eighteen academy, right? Because we started with U thirteen, U fourteen. Next year will be fifteen, maybe sixteen. I forget. Um, but they're going to gradually grow it up that way. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you, we've talked about money money about this a lot? But it, is there something to say? Like, why can't we act like Atlanta? Um, they are putting a lot of money into their stuff. I don't even know if we have to act like Atlanta. I mean, the the thing Atlanta signed like mega DPS, right? Like they went out and signed like three, and they signed Tata Martino as their right, head like, coach. You know, well, and all of their yeah. a lot of their squad guys are like former national team players. You know, even yeah. their squad players are yeah. really experienced U.S. national team players. I mean, I I think the I have heard from people who kind of talk to staff members and talk to people like the idea that they had the short the short flight path into MLS. They really are like, they truly do believe that they had the shortest flight path, but it's, I think this came up the past week on Twitter back and forth too. the idea that we had a bunch of these guys who could have been rotation MLS players. Like they weren't going to light the world on fire, but we had the species of the world, the Brasskis of the world, all of these people. And then you see guys like Pino and other guys just crushing it at the lower level, laying all these guys. And so I think part of our like, Oh, we just oh we don't have the same amount of money is a little bit of shooting ourselves in the foot because in a way we wasted money on these Nordic players who we actually spent pretty decent money on when we could have signed these other guys to low contracts. So I think the investment side is real. I mean, I think the idea we probably will have to be a team that builds through homegrown signings and the academy to ever compete. I mean, especially because the yeah. team is already positioning as a low dollar like kind of squad. I, I will say in in one one defense of the team that yes, uh, Arthur Blank is also mostly he he's getting uh, funds, but he's building a like a billion dollar stadium basically. Mm -hmm. But he's building it for his NFL team already, right? Which they make a billion dollars just from farting. 
And so, you know, that's that is different. Like this team doesn't have this billion dollar fart machine to subsidize its its stadium. Uh, and so that that is a bit a, a pretty significant difference. But I, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I, there are things like you know we've talked about the budget of marketing, which is just unbelievable for Atlanta, and it's basically uh, you know uh, it, it's minuscule here. Uh, you know they can advertise in on the walls of uh, uh, gas station bathrooms, basically with, mm-hmm. with so they can buy the sharpies for that. That's that's about it. Um, it would be interesting to know for what a good the time and it's like directions to TCF. <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting to know what the split of ownership is, though, because we do have these minority owners that are the heads of Minnesota's most successful, like not just yeah. Fortune 500. Some of the companies on here are like Fortune 200, Fortune yeah, 100 yeah, yeah. companies. It would be interesting to know what the split is because I know there's been so much talk about like oh, McGuire is actually not worth that much because of all these fines he paid, whatever. But I think the idea of how much do these minority owners own because they're serious players. I mean, like the Carlson family, the Polite family. But how much are the... They they might own a lot, but they're also... They're not as willing to just freely lose money on this. Right, right, right. And Arthur Blank, I think, is legitimately a good soccer owner. Even if he is an NFL owner, I think Mm -hmm. he's... Very, he's not in the craft mold. He legitimately mm-hmm. will lose money on his soccer team, and that's fine with him. Mm-hmm. He cares about it. Great, good for him. These guys, they got involved with this deal, but you know, poll ads are maybe like, we got involved with the deal, but we're not here to like lose extra money. You know, we'll we'll invest stuff, but we're not going to throw it out. So right. I mean, I think to to us, like soccer in Minnesota is a proven commodity, right? I mean, it's been like semi-pro to pro since 1994 like you know it's gone through all these ups and downs but the fans have still stayed with it the attendance has grown we you know we all saw as minnesota united the, the new brand and the and the dr mcguire the money he put into it and we saw the attendance go up and up now we have this mls team you know we're in the top half of the league in attendance for all of the all the of the uh worrying that we've done about that but i think that for these other owners these other guys you know the poll ads and the Nelson Nielsen's whatever Nelson, you know, the soccer is a risky bet, right? In Minnesota. I mean, the Minnesota sports market is definitely saturated by now, if not oversaturated. So it's difficult, you know, to, to tell these people you need to be spending all this money to get, you know, this random Brazilian guy, no one's ever heard of who's going to make our team better. Yeah, I think that I think that people are cautious. And I think that, you know, even though we will probably have a DP next year and this kind of thing until we're in year three and year four and the stadium is built and it's, you know, shiny and gleaming and the whole thing feels more secure and more permanent. I think that that is when, you know, these other these other owners might sort of start getting more interested. Well, and I think that the other, just the, I just want to say one thing about the comparison to Atlanta, which is that like, I'm not long-term. I'm not concerned about Atlanta. First of all, despite all the money they've spent, they're fighting for a playoff spot with Montreal right now. The second, the, you know, I'm, I, I saw some photos today of their stadium and it's like really a technological marvel and it's, I just don't think it's going to be that great for soccer. I mean, it's the same kind of thing with the Viking Stadium. The roof is, you know, like a hundred feet above the 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 highest. But stand. they can release their sphincter. 
that is open. <laughs> yeah, Megatron's butthole, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the stadium is, is crazy. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's an incredible feat of engineering. But I will take the Minnesota United soccer-specific stadium any day. I just, any I, day. I just got the image of a fantastic TIFO, which is just Megatron leaning over and pulling down his pants and having Mercedes-Benz Stadium just right between his, his Megatron butt cheeks. So someone out there, make you that TIFO. That. <laughs> All right, I want to. I'm gonna call it quits. We, we've we've uh, gone on long. Uh, I want to thank you, Alex, uh, for uh, jumping on the phone. Uh, thank you, Matt, for coming into my dank basement. Uh, thank you, listeners. Go uh, leave a response on iTunes. A a, a a pleasant rating. If you don't have a pleasant rating, then just go curl over and die or something. Matt, where can we find you on uh, Twitter? I'm on Twitter, Matt Pavratsky. Um, definitely there for most Gopher games. So yeah. Check it out. Awesome. Alex, we know you, we know me. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you soon.